0: the fact that they do that for evolutionary reasons and the fact that there are all these scientific explanations that exist for those means that the god explanations the religious explanations are unnecessary and at sort of at best they're superfluous and at worst they're sort of simply incorrect
1: Hello, and welcome to Faith at the Frontiers, a podcast that confronts challenges to the Christian faith with hope. This is episode six in our series on science and religion. We interview Christopher Bennett, whose research is about the idea that religious beliefs are a product of evolution and natural selection. It aided survival to imagine the personal agent behind everything that happens. So our brains are hardwired to do this, even when in many cases there's nobody there. Does this account for why so many people believe in God? If it does, is this reason enough to stop believing in God? Stay listening to hear our answers to these questions. I hope you enjoy the
2: episode. So Chris, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. We start these interviews by asking the same question to all of our guests, and that is, what is science and religion to you? um, And why did you choose it as the focus of your research?
0: Well, first of all, thank you very much uh, to both of you for having me. It's very nice, very nice to be here. What is science and religion to me? Uh, I think science and religion is a set of practices that academics tend to engage in. And it's a sort of, it's a series of dialogues and discussions, I think between uh, scientists and religious believers um, and academics who are sort of studying that. And, And I can sort of, yeah, I would separate science and religion out as being, A, there is this sort of academic field of science and religion, which is obviously studying the science and religion that goes on in the world, which is the scientists who are religious, the religious believers who have scientific interests, the scientific interactions between religious belief and certain scientific piece of evidence. Uh, yeah, so so I think there's a sort of a, there's the academic idea of it, which I think is sort of what you and I and, and others are engaged in. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the actual sort of de facto stuff that is happening, which you would maybe class as science and religion, or one would, one would class as science and religion. And that's because it has it has some sort of intersection between those two yeah i i i why why am i interested in it because i don't i don't see it as this sort of incredibly fascinating thing unto itself i don't i don't i'm not so much necessarily interested in the idea that oh science is an incredibly important way of viewing and understanding the world and religion is also a very influential means of trying to understand what's out there, what's going on, what is meaning. I don't I'm not so interested in that fact just because they're both there. I'm more interested in how specific religious questions and religious ideas are affected by actual pieces of science or equally how Areas of science can be enlightened by religious ideas, but I think I'm more interested not so not just because of what the things are, though I think that adds a little bit of weight, but more because yeah, because I think there are things within religion that science can shed light on.
2: Great. So, with with specifics in mind, let's turn to your kind of general area that your research has focused on. So, let's. um. Would you say that you're uh, you work in the cognitive science of religion? Um, mm. Would you say you work in religious epistemology? How would you kind of categorise the the subfield of science and religion that you're in? And maybe could you explain kind of breaking it down what that field or that area actually involves?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so I think within what I've just said about the um, yeah specific ideas, what I think what I do is take religious beliefs hopefully quite broad religious beliefs because i'd like them to be quite applicable and and particularly the sort of ideas about religious epistemology uh, and and epistemology in general too Um, and i take those ideas and i look at what science does to them uh, which is an incredibly broad way of putting it but but in the in the more specifics i look at how the evolution of religious belief how religious belief came about affects the content and the veracity of those religious beliefs. Where do I think that fits in the fields? Well, I think, yeah, I I wouldn't say I work within the cognitive science of religion, which is the sort of the set of people, the set of typically scientists, in my view at least, who are interested in questions of how religion came about, why religion evolved, uh, what religion does cognitively I wouldn't put myself within those people because I'm not talented enough in the field of science and I've not made any actual meaningful breakthrough on how any of that happened so I see cognitive science of religion as, as first and foremost as science and I, and I think what I'm trying to do is extract some interesting conclusions from that um,
1: what you want to do is reflect on the implications of those scientific discoveries for religion and vice versa yeah. potentially
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and I think there is a yeah there is a vice versa there as well, which is that I think the science the science of religion is sometimes lacking a full perspective of uh, a the, the ramifications of what they're saying. Sort of, if you say religion uh, religious beliefs came about due to X Y Z, that has a sort of ramification that I think is often ignored within the field. Um, and then the other thing is uh, just the the sort of actual like understanding of what religion looks like. I think often there's a very stratified view of religion, and and that's not particularly beneficial when you're trying to come up with a sort of a cognitive science of religion. But yeah, I, I think more more so the the other direction, which is yeah, thinking about what cognitive science of religion, what evidence of the evolution of religion can do for how we think about religious beliefs and and in particular I like to look at sort of the justification of religious beliefs. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say the truth value but sort of the um, how religious beliefs can be turned into something that we would call knowledge uh, how religious beliefs would be defended and, and, and if a religious believer's justification or defense for his or her knowledge would be something that would be affected by how science is currently still discovering how religion evolved. Um, And then, yeah, and that means I think I'd plant myself firmly in the sort of theology philosophy camp. Um, I I don't know whether, yeah, that probably makes me some kind of epistemologist, but I don't think that's a proper job.
2: (laughs) Why did you choose to focus on religious beliefs specifically? Because do you not worry about it, taking a rather reductionist approach to religion if you kind of want to distill this rich and vast and complicated way of seeing the world and interacting with other people to a set of beliefs do you worry that certain aspects of religion are lost?
0: I I think that certain aspects of religion are lost by an empirical description of religion because empirical descriptions of anything lose certain aspects of their subject matter. That's that's the nature of empirical descriptions. Mm-hmm. They can only describe certain things. Um, I don't think that's necessarily an issue. And I think, certainly for the sorts of questions that I'm interested in, like if I'm trying to think about why humans have religious beliefs, what is it about religious beliefs that allowed them to sort of take root and sustain themselves I don't think those questions are all that concerned with the milieu of what religious beliefs are out there in the world um, I think I think you can sort of distill some kind of key causes some kind of key ideas out of those uh, which are then useful for philosophical questioning
2: so you kind of taking it apart and seeing it how seeing how it works
0: yeah I I I don't think again I don't think I'm really doing a lot of the taking apart but I I'm definitely taking what the much cleverer people do when they're taking it apart and and, and trying to use that um because I think I think there's a, it's a growing field but I don't think there's enough people who are actually concerned about what origins mean um, and I think it's it's one of those things where I mean I'm not massively interested in the philosophy of morality but I think in the field of philosophy of morality people are really interested in why humans are moral um, and they, they've got really into the sort of science behind the ethical beliefs that we hold but aside from that I don't think origin has really been considered too much and I think particularly within the field of religion people maybe maybe just it's not an arrogance but I think it's a sort of a slight naivete that perhaps there is a firm foundation and you don't actually need to worry so much about what the origin is because you have a firm foundation of your belief.
2: So okay with that in mind then I think it'll be helpful to talk a bit more specifically about what um, the evolutionary story is here when we're talking about the origins of religious belief so could you just tell us a bit about that please?
0: Yeah so couple of things here i think so there's there's two oh, 25 ways of talking about how how religion came about there's there's two main things i'd i sort of want to break that down into one is how religion came about in human brains mm-hmm. the sort of the really cognitive side of things and then there's the sort of more anthropological evolutionary side of things which is how religion sustains itself Gets success. Sorry, did I say evolution or did I say religion? You said how religion sustains yeah. itself. How how religion has success and how religion sort of continues and grows and spreads. For the for the first one, there's there's several several sort of popular views. What one popular view is this idea of uh, hyperactive agency detection. So that's that's the idea that humans look around themselves and they well, in fact, all, all animals really, and in, in fact. Plants as well. Many organisms have a threat detection system, and a, and a threat detection system means that you have to attribute agency. And, and, and organisms attribute agency in, in various ways. Whether it's sort of the Venus flytrap, where a fly lands on its very sensitive hair and then it closes—that that's a form of uh, threat. Well, it's not threat detection, but it, it's attributing agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then you think of uh, what what would be a very sensitive hair on a Venus flytrap. Well, it, it might get to just get triggered by the wind. Right, so it's that that sort of hyperactive agency detection there. With with humans uh, and and the way this is uh, coming back to religion in a very circuitous route. Um, the with, with humans the way that uh, is used is that, say say humans see um, the wind blowing some some leaves. They, they attribute agency to that, and the reason that they attribute agency to that is because actually it's it's evolutionally beneficial usually to over attribute agency. So it's it's quite beneficial for the Venus flytrap to close more often than rather than a fly that's a bit light lands on it and it doesn't close, therefore it doesn't get its meal. Likewise, I should attribute agency to the leaves rustling because it only takes those leaves rustling to be an angry hippopotamus once for me to die and get trampled by an angry hippopotamus. Given that we over-attribute agency to things, the thought, the psychological thought, the evolutionary psychological thought is that we over-attribute agency In the direction of God, in the the direction of the
1: supernatural. Can I just put what you said into my own words? Um, Yeah. I I remember learning once that we human beings have an incredible ability to identify faces in all kinds of things that are not actually faces, like which is why people see sort of the Virgin Mary and their toast. That's a common example. There's even a Twitter handle called Faces in Things which shows just like two buttons and a zip on a bag and suddenly you think that you're looking at two eyes and a mouth. And this is repeated all over the place, like two screws in a wall and a line underneath suddenly looks like a mouth. And the evolutionary explanation as to why we see lots of faces in things is because it's actually helpful for making sure we identify predators really quickly and get away from them or perhaps even prey in order to find them and it's better to see faces where there isn't actually a face than the other way around because and it,
2: agency more widely as well
1: yeah well uh, uh, agency i was avoiding the word agency to try and come at it from another direction oh, sorry. but yeah to agency in the sense that you see another sentient being who might interact with you in some way might want to eat you or or something and so I think the, the explanation for how religion arose out of that is basically that we started attributing to God various things that happen in the natural world. Is that right? So in the same way as we've got this overloaded way of seeing faces everywhere, it seems that we've just sort of seen God's face in many of the things that happen in nature. Is that a summary of the, this argument?
0: Yes, I think that's a that's a reasonable way of putting it. Yeah. It, it's it's just, just like um yeah, you, you oversee faces. You see faces where there aren't. Um uh, as Emily was saying, you also just see agency where it isn't. And the idea is that there's a general tendency to over-ascribe agency. And once you've got that, you can quite quickly move to, well, humans would over-ascribe agency in the direction of well, if they then Look for actual sort of natural agency and don't find it, they'll then over-ascribe it and sort of there'll be a supernatural agency, which then is maybe not so many steps from some something like God or, or religious beliefs. Um yeah, and and so that argument forms part of why humans have religious beliefs in the first place, why why they might form them. Um and and it accompanies other ideas about. Uh, mentalizing which is about sort of ascribing properties to other minds the other idea that's related to that is that humans are also fearful of things such as storms or or lightning or natural uh, disasters even so floods and, and, and all sorts of other natural events and the idea is that ascribing agency to those can be in some way comforting so these are all sorts of, as I was uh, talking about earlier, these are all sorts of ways in which the sort of evolutionary psychology has an individual idea of what causes religious belief in human beings as individuals and what might have sort of allowed religious beliefs to arise in the first place.
2: I can I can see how this leads to um, like animism and beliefs in spirits in nature, but I guess I'm struggling to see how we get from... Uh, over attributing agency to the wind or to you know possibly seeing faces in trees and trees and the like to the kind of theologically robust beliefs that we might see in you know the Abrahamic monotheisms for example it seems to me that there's a really significant gulf here between the types of beliefs that the evolutionary psychologists are trying to talk about and then the type of theology that maybe um, CSR scholars want to actually apply it to. So could you maybe talk a bit more about how we get from one of those to the other? Sorry,
1: what are CSR scholars? Quickly. Sorry,
2: cognitive science of religion.
0: Uh, well, yeah, I think, Emily, you put you put your finger on it and um, I don't necessarily think that there is an entirely convincing path from these sorts of things that you say, yeah, probably take you to animism or something like that to Christian beliefs, modern Islamic beliefs, really modern sort of very well developed sort of thought systems. Um, what I would say is that I think I think you can see many ideas of what I've described in those religious beliefs. Still, I, I wouldn't say you, you get a massive part of it, but but you do get ideas of. I mean, certainly, if you think of something like um, Greek. Greek or Roman religion, very very common uh, sort of idea when we think about sort of pagan religion, so to speak. You, you As would, in just you sort of, sort just of, sort all of all those...
1: mythologies where there are numerous different gods exactly. who control you get different the story parts of, of nature. Why is
0: there an echo? Why is uh, why is there the sun and the moon, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So so you certainly get something like that. So it's I, I think it does go a little bit beyond animism. I think the idea would be to sort of steelman it the best I could would be to say that from those beliefs about some form of supernatural agent, humans might, in some sort of very distant past, have formed a belief about supernatural agent and then sort of reflected on that and thought about that further. And in that thinking and reflection, developed a more robust picture of a god.
1: The hyperactive agency-detecting device sort of was the seed for what later developed into a more comprehensive religious worldview. Is that sort of what you're saying?
0: Yeah, exactly. It it's just something that sort of maybe, maybe lights lights the spark, um, and then and then everything else sort of gets set off. I think the other thing that it would be speculated that such a sort of hyperactive agency detection device would do is that it would make it cognitively easier for humans all the way through history including up till now to ascribe agency and to to have religious beliefs because those religious beliefs sort of fit with uh an over agential view of the world right so so the idea is that it, it, that is something that would continue and that humans still have that tendency and um that that would be something that would would would, would allow the more robust beliefs that you're describing Emily to sort of fit in with the human mind more 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 easily
2: okay so we're talking not only about how religious beliefs originated now but also how they are upheld and transmitted in well, propagated
1: yeah, yeah
0: yeah 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 and and i think once we're once we're talking about that we can also bring in other ideas and that that's where we can bring in those sort of anthropological and evolutionary ideas too because if you have a sort of a seed of a sort of let's say one person decides that the leaves rustling mean that there is a being that is rustling the leaves and you can't see it but it's it's a sort of supernatural being that is rustling the leaves the sort of following this sort of toy example along you could then develop a sort of a society around this person maybe this person grows in popularity because their explanation of the leaves is quite quite an interesting one um maybe that society then sort of starts social mores which would then be um, enforced by the supernatural being that's sort of behind the leaves, behind the storm, uh, seemingly very powerful but can't be seen, uh, and would therefore be enforcing those social norms. and, And in doing so, would be hopefully making that society more cohesive because they've got uh, altruism enforced or, or or other things. And and so these are, then there's sort of evolutionary ideas, which is things such as altruism typically being beneficial for a group selection perspective or a kin selection perspective, which are sort of vaguely technical ideas, but, but things I think that you can understand, which is that if people are nice and group up together to each other, generally those people will survive. Um, more often than ones who are sort of fighting each other all the time.
2: So there's lots of things, I suppose, that people can do with this type of explanation. And one of the things I know that has been done with it is to kind of construct these things we call evolutionary debunking arguments, which try and explain away religion or try and undermine the credibility of religion by explaining the so-called origins of some of its beliefs. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and then why you think that some of these arguments actually don't work? Or maybe you think that they do.
0: Yeah, so so I think the first thing I would say is that um, I think within the field of CSR, just to sort of as as a final point of closing that off, I don't think people really would say that they've explained the origins of religious belief per se i don't think people would see this as a task that's done and, and i don't think it's even a task that is necessarily doable as well because as you said sort of religion as it uh looks today is well and, and frankly has looked for centuries and millennia is an incredibly complex beast and, and you can't go about explaining it but i think different totally. components do get explained and and those explanations um can be used and, and they 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 need to be used quite carefully in philosophical argumentation. So some ways in which they use for debunking arguments will be very targeted at beliefs. So it will target sort of God beliefs or it will target um, even sort of ritual, uh, sort of ritualistic beliefs. So that that's one way of sort of using the quite specific or... or yeah, in fact, the, the the sort of looseness around CSR uh, using that in the philosophical argumentation. But yeah, the the approximate ideas. There's the sort of two two main strands of debunking arguments. So so two main ways in which um, some philosophers like to debunk religion using explanations. One of them is to sort of set up competing explanations. So this would be the idea that religion is already explained in a religious way whatever that might look like, whether that looks like a sort of a, a story in Genesis or a story that religious believers tell each other about why they believe about being chosen or, or whatever it might be. So there's already a religious explanation and then CSR comes in with a sort of scientific explanation and those two clash and therefore religious beliefs lose because the scientific explanation has more evidence or, or what have you. So, so that's one way in which um, Debunking of religious beliefs might happen.
1: In other words, if one of these explanations is true, that means the other isn't. So then if religion's own account of how it originated with God actually speaking to human beings or intervening, then it can't also be that this um, hyperactive agency is true at the same time and vice versa, that people, if people believe that religion originated through hyperactive agency, then that means it can't have been through an actual God
0: yeah and 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 these are these are developed in a, in a more sort of sophisticated way um talking more about sort of sensitivity so so the this idea would be that if religious belief has come about due to a sort of sensitivity to uh agency rather than because of god putting religion in humanity's minds or something then it doesn't really seem as though the religious explanation holds. So there's, there's many ways of sort of figuring out that idea that the religious explanation doesn't hold, but I think fundamentally, a lot of what those arguments are doing is trying to set up competing explanations. Um, the other type that is very popular as, as a way of debunking, uh, debunking religion from these arguments is, is to use the explanations just to talk about what humans are able to do. And that's, and that's to talk about sort of, well, humans are evolved beings humans evolved in a certain context to do certain things, um, and and certain things such as detect agency, such as uh, create groups with social norms, with, with religions, that they sort of have all these cultures and that's what humans do and they do that for evolutionary reasons. The fact that they do that for evolutionary reasons and the fact that there are all these scientific explanations that exist for those means that the, God explanations, the religious explanations, are unnecessary and, at sort of at best, they're superfluous and at worst, they're sort of simply incorrect because, again, um, they're they're talking about a way of thinking that humans simply don't don't use. Um, so there's there's two main ways that you can sort of think about how these explanations can be used to debunk religion, and it's it's either sort of a competing explanation or an idea that. Human faculties, human abilities, simply aren't able to compute religion beyond what they need to for evolution.
1: In other words, you could say that because we have these scientific explanations of how religion came about, it doesn't necessarily mean that God wasn't involved, but we no longer need God to explain how religion came about, so God becomes no longer needed, yeah.
0: And it would seem, and it, and yeah, and the corollary is sort of, it would seem like a big coincidence if God just happens to exist as well as being something that there's an evolutionary tendency to believe in him,
2: yeah. And do these arguments work, in your opinion? Is, is one kind of line of argument more compelling than the other? Or do you want to do something completely different with these ideas?
0: Yeah, so I think whether these arguments work is perhaps slightly beside the point. I mean, I think... The not for the who, religious person. Yeah, well, not, not, for, not for the people who are sort of engaged with the arguments. But I think that's actually a, a relatively small number of people. And I think a lot of religious believers would hear the arguments that I've just put forward and already think, well, that doesn't actually apply to the form of religious beliefs that I believe in. Because maybe it's because I don't really believe because of hyperactive agency or I have good independent reasons for my belief. And then a lot of philosophers who may not just simply sort of reject this sort of evolutionary argumentation like to, again, use this idea that actually why humans believe is not important. What is important is finding reasons for religious belief. And so to some extent, I think you could say actually whether these arguments succeed or not is sort of not, not the main point. I think the main point is what do these arguments show us about religious belief, and I think, yeah. So, so I, I think my opinion—I've I've sort of already uh, exposed it a little bit. There is that they—they they don't. What they don't show is that religious beliefs are wrong false or outcompeted competed or, or whatever so, so that's probably partly why I don't think they don't think they matter so much
1: so um, if I if I could put what you're saying into my own words it's that there seems yeah. to be an, an ambiguity in asking somebody why do you believe what you believe they're not necess- you're not necessarily getting them to answer how they came to believe what they believe and there this the evolutionary explanation might hold but they might say well how I came to believe this is irrelevant because I have reasons for believing it that are nothing to do with how I came to believe it. Is that, there's a distinction on that's a, why that's exactly, you believe something? That's exactly
0: it, yeah. It's, uh yeah, it's it, the, the story of why one happens to believe in a sort of etiological, genealogical sense is not so important as the story of why one came to believe in a sort of evidential reasons-based sense. And I think most religious believers would see themselves as having something akin to that sort of evidence-based or, or, or reason-based that, that they could sort of fall back on, even if the genealogical story gets sort of totally explained by, by science. Um, but yeah, so, so I would say that I, I don't think these uh, the explanations arguments work at all well, because I think what they're always trying to do is just set up, the, set up science and, re, and scientific uh, explanations and religious explanations as competing. And I think there's a lot of very coherent, very believable ways in which one can marry together a scientific explanation of religious belief and a religious explanation. So, talking about a hyperactive agency detector as something that perhaps leads to beliefs in God could be a way of moving towards something like alvin plantinga's uh sensus divinitatis so this is this is the idea that god put a sense inside of humanity well it's from calvin really isn't it but but plantinga um uses it in a more modern way that's that's the idea that god has put a sense inside of humans and inside of mankind and and that humans can therefore know god that could look something like a hyperactive agency detector. So that would be a way in which the religious and the scientific explanations could be married together. Now, now there might be sort of problems with how you do that, but it certainly doesn't seem as though sort of a priori, those are two entirely incompatible explanations that could never be brought together. It certainly seems as though there are possible ways of doing that. So that's, I think, why the explanations-based arguments don't work. The faculties-based arguments, I think are a little bit more interesting because I think they are more What are the faculties-based
1: arguments did. again?
0: Sorry, that, that's the idea that human abilities uh, are limited. Human abilities are limited by what evolution gives us. And, and th- that, that would then mean that it would be quite a big coincidence if humans believed because of evolutionary reasons, but God also exists. In other so, words,
2: we have evolved the faculties that we've evolved to be evolutionarily fit and not theologically accurate.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um,
0: And and given that that's the case, we could also be theologically accurate, but it seems improbable.
1: The chances are Um, unlikely, yeah.
0: Yeah. So those arguments, I think, are more subtle in the way that they sort of criticise religious beliefs. I think they're also typically more targeted because they target a sort of a specific ability to know specific types of beliefs um why i find them not so compelling though is that actually they're still not really telling a religious believer why his or her beliefs aren't accurate because as as we were saying earlier barney um if, if you were saying sort of not the sort of why i happen to come to believe but the actual reasons i have behind my belief well are those reasons attacked by the idea that your abilities don't help you to know God. Well,
1: they might be for some religious people, right? Some religious people might say, oh, I believe because I had an experience in nature or in a church service where I felt the presence of something divine speaking to me or interacting with me in some way. And then they might feel quite threatened by the idea that this is just a result of hyperactive agency
2: No, detection,
1: detection, hyperactive agency detection. But I guess that doesn't necessarily that doesn't really explain the vast majority of religious people.
0: That's the thing. So so I think I think that is where I think for certain religious beliefs and for certain religious believers, I think these uh, sort of abilities arguments really do have an impact. And I think something like religious experience is a good example because there's been a lot of scientific research into how to sort of stimulate religious experience. But still, I think a lot of this, actually, what it's falling back on is a kind of competing explanation. So let's let's think about the sort of believer who believes because of having a religious experience, having a sort of a sense of the the grandeur of nature and a sense that it's all sort of designed and planned as a result of that. That person has, has that experience and, and I might be able to say, well, look, I can stimulate your temporal lobe. I can play around with, I can sort of put some electrodes on your brain, play around with your brain and give you a similar experience, right? I might be able to, certainly I might not be able to do that, but some scientists might be able to do that. And, they would be able to simulate a very similar sort of experience, and and that might feel as though it's undermining those sorts of uh, beliefs that rely on religious experience, but it doesn't. Still, is that is still reliant on a sort of competing explanation idea because the idea there is that well, just because I can do this in a naturalistic way, that means when you had that independently of the naturalistic causation, that means that that one was in some way false or a lie or untrue. It might still be that God caused that one or that one was accurate, but that this naturalistic one just sort of simulates that sort of God-caused entirely accurate type of experience.
1: So like, for, for we could talk about the idea of totalizing uh, some explanation so that it accounts for all the different instances of something the psychological explanation could be totalizing you could say this leaves this excludes the possibility of some other explanation for some of the phenomena we're seeing or similarly the religious explanation could also be totalizing and say this excludes the possibility that there's a scientific explanation for these things and actually we're trying to avoid totalizing either of those right
0: yes yeah it's the it's the totalizing that would be the problem and I, and i think even when we're trying to talk more specifically about abilities and, and, and about the more specific reasons why people believe, I think it actually comes back to that there's a sort of underlying, totalizing idea beneath beneath the arguments that are trying to debunk religious belief there.
2: So, okay, so we can't use evolution to debunk religion. Many religious people, I'm sure, will be relieved to hear that. What can we do with these arguments then?
0: Yeah, So, so what I want to say is that Religious beliefs should still... Well, religious believers should still pay a lot of attention to the evolutionary causes of religion and the idea that religion is an evolved phenomenon.
2: Religious beliefs. I think we get into murky territory if we want to talk about the whole of religion. We've done a whole episode about that, so we don't need to get into it, but
0: we should just stick to beliefs. That's true. The The reason that a lot of attention should be paid to these kinds of beliefs... The, the, and these explanations of these beliefs is because I think generally explanations of beliefs are something that we should care about so if Emily starts to say that she can see an elephant outside of her room I might have an explanation which is that I slipped a pill into her drink earlier and, and <laughs> kind of started hallucinating and and that is an explanation that is actually quite relevant so it's it's not the case of sort of explanations for beliefs are just never something to be considered. Explanations can very much have an impact on beliefs. And evolutionary explanations, I think, should particularly have a have an impact on our beliefs because we accept a lot of evolutionary explanations in ordinary life. So if you think about aspects of the human body, right, if one talks about the appendix, the appendix is, is a sort of classic example whenever sort of, you might sort of talk about an appendix, you think about, well, what's it for? Why, why is it just useless? Oh, well, we just sort of evolved away from the need for an appendix. And I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely up on the latest research on why exactly we have appendixes. But the, the idea is there that those were some things that originally had some sort of purpose, some sort of use given to, given to them by Evolution Fitness, but now just are not useful. Another example is sort of uh, nipples on men. Men have nipples largely just because in the womb, that's how the fetus develops genderlessly with nipples. And and the reason it does that is because evolutionarily, that's just the simpler way of going about things. It, it's it's more complicated to sort of divert earlier on.
1: Do you know St. Augustine has his own explanation for why men have nipples? He says it's purely for the sake of beauty.
0: <laughs> nice. I don't know how many male nipples St. Augustine had looked at, but I'm not sure I fully agree with him. <laughs> um but anyway so so we we use evolutionary explanations all the time um whether it's uh whether it's for the human body or or even when when you sort of watch a watch a david attenborough nature program and and you can look at sort of the way in which uh, organisms' characteristics are described because they sort of they need them and it's a very teleological way of describing things and and it's not necessarily an accurate way of thinking about evolution but it's it's a it's a very important way of thinking about how we use how things came about. So why, why should we not also use our capacities in that way? So if we think about our capacities to think, to reason, to use, let's say, mathematics, well, why, why are humans able to use mathematics? Because it, is, because it is useful to be able to add and subtract and multiply and divide and do do sort of fairly simple mathematics, uh, that's all useful. And even even more complex mathematics, like sort of trajectory calculation, that has a pretty clear use in terms of hunting, in terms of predator evasion, all of these sorts of things. So, So that would be a reason why humans have those sort of cognitive capacities. Let's turn that to religious cognitive capacities. So whichever cognitive capacities religious believers are using to justify their religious beliefs have an evolutionary explanation behind them. Now, we might not be able to get right to the bottom of those, but I think it would be fair to accept, and, and most religious believers would accept that there is an evolutionary explanation for why they hold those cognitive capacities.
1: Yeah. So ever since I learned about this sort of evolutionary explanation for religion, I've always found it instructive to think of parallels. And one of the parallels you just brought up was mathematics. So we can have evolutionary explanations for why we're good at maths or morality. I think you've done a bit of research on uh, evolutionary explanations for morality as well. But at the end of the day, we end up almost doubling back on ourselves and say, have we evolved the ability to think up evolutionary reasons for things and then should we trust that ability
2: <laughs> absolutely
1: yeah so so
0: well what what do you think the ability to think up evolutionary explanations is actually based on what capacities are we using
1: well i think it's, it's sort of some of our inbuilt tendency to make narratives out of things and to explain things by means of their causes. So it's almost rooted in a sense of the ability to attribute causality to things as a way of explaining them, right? And like the philosopher David Hume pointed a lot to the theory of causality and showed how it can't actually be proven, but we're inbuilt to attribute causality to everything.
0: Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. So I think that comes back to, in many ways, the sort of over-ascribing of agency and over-ascribing of causality is very similar. Humans love to think the idea that B happened after A means that A caused B, but obviously that, yeah. that's, uh, that's not, not always true.
1: Correlation doesn't always imply causation, people like uh, the economists yeah. say, don't they?
0: Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think that's a lot of the reason why we use evolutionary reasons a lot of the time. But when we think about what evolution actually requires as a theory in order to sort of stand, a lot of it is quite empirical. It's, it's the fact that it's sort of Darwin's finches. It's sort of the fossil record where you can see slight changes in organisms over time. So there is quite a lot of empirical basis for the idea that organisms change over time. And organisms change over time because of their environment.
1: In other words, and the it's not just changing
0: a, over time is to increase their fitness.
1: In other words, it's not just a hypothesis that somebody invented that has good explanatory power for the way we currently are. There's also various external bits of evidence to support evolution.
0: There, there's there's quite a lot of good evidence, and, and therefore, the reasons that we use evolutionary explanations might actually be down to a lot of sort of internal human cognitive tendencies but it's also down to the way that we view the world, the way that we use empirical evidence, and the way that we sort of uh, c- can construct a narrative, but that narrative is still quite, quite well-grounded. So if we, think, if we think that evolution is therefore a fairly well-grounded theory, and we think that evolution applies to humans, which I think actually in the modern day, most, re- most religious believers are quite happy to accept both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Then we, Then we think about how cognitive capacities, human cognitive capacities are affected by the fact that they evolved in a certain context. And then we can start thinking about, well, does that, does that provide a limitation? Is there a limitation on our ability to justify religious beliefs based on the fact that our abilities were evolved to meet certain needs? If, for example, our ability to create religious beliefs, came about because it is beneficial in a group to fit in and to follow the religious beliefs of the others, because that will help your group to cohere. Does that mean that that ability is stunted from reaching the actual religious truth? Because what it evolved to do, your ability or one's ability to think about God, for example, is not actually to think about a metaphysical, supernatural, transcendent God. That's not what that ability is for. That ability is for a very specific evolutionary context. And therefore, there, there there's. I think it's really worth paying attention to the explanations, because those, those explanations can have real consequences for a sort of limitation on religious beliefs.
1: So by limitation, it seems to me that what you're saying is it makes religious beliefs more precarious and harder to prove, and it makes it harder for religious people to find certainty of the truth of their beliefs because there is this other possible explanation, or there's this other way of it's, looking at the yeah,
0: world. Yeah, it, it's not that, yeah, because uh, I mean, I'd like to steer, steer away from this idea that it's another possible explanation. It is. It is simply an explanation of why humans are able to produce religious beliefs right it's it's an explanation that i would I would very happily accept could work alongside the idea that God created those abilities in some way, whether it was eternally or whether it was sort of through very individual sort of meddling right but mean, I'm very means... happy to suggest that that explanation works alongside it, but it's the fact that an explanation in terms of evolution naturally means that there are limitations just as you are presumably unable to compute what is 5,497,321 divided by 847 right you can't just do that in your head why can't you do that in your head because as I was sort of talking about earlier, some sort of simple mathematics is quite useful. So evolution gives us the capacities to be able to develop our brains to the point that we can just do that very easily in our heads. Barring certain people who are incredibly good at mental mathematics, most human beings don't actually have the ability to do the sort of really complex sums like I was talking about unless they've got sort of paper um, and they can start writing things down and then they can use these sort of other rubrics and tools. That's a limitation that, to me, is imposed by religion uh, by by evolution, rather
2: so I guess I have quite a fundamental problem with the the kind of things that evolution is being asked to do here i I think it's just it's too reductionist to say that religion is the kind of thing that admits of scientific explanation all the way down. We might be able to say, okay, it seems like there are certain capacities which are both evolutionarily advantageous and also seem to kind of have some sort of resonance with religious belief. But we're making so many steps here that I think we kind of, we're going outside of the realms of what a scientific theory is actually able to do there's one, you know, you can say we evolved certain faculties and these faculties seem to be kind of conducive to developing the kind of beliefs that we now associate with religion. But there are so many steps from going from there to saying, well, actually maybe we can't justify religious beliefs at all because somewhere potentially in our evolutionary past, we had developed these faculties for other purposes, i.e. to detect agency in the world or to be sensitive to some sort of agency. I just think we are calling things evolutionary that actually aren't scientific anymore. And I won- I worry about that. Um, I worry that we're stepping outside of the bounds of what a science is actually able to do and that we're collapsing religion down to a set of propositional beliefs when actually for most people, it's much, much more than that.
0: Yeah, so to take your last point first, obviously this, uh, as you very rightly reprimanded me earlier, uh, obviously, this only applies to religious beliefs. It, do, it doesn't really apply to religion, sort of mm-hmm. qua religion, as this, as this wide thing. And, and it might only apply to very specific beliefs, something like the God beliefs I think I was talking about earlier. Um, given that's the case, though, what I'm trying to say is not that there are specific explanations of religion, and not that science can even offer us specific explanations of religion, or, or even specific explanations of religious belief. That's, I would agree with you that that is actually beyond the limits of what, what science is certainly able to do at the moment, or probably ever able to do in any sort of complete and meaningful way. What instead I'm trying to say is that religious beliefs, if they are to be justified, should be justified by a reliable capacity. Okay. Now, a reliable capacity would be something that, well, for me, from from an evolutionary perspective, to know that a capacity is reliable, I would like to know why that capacity evolved. Did that capacity evolve in order to produce truths? So if I think about our capacity to see, typically, that capacity evolved to produce truths. That capacity evolved to tell me that there is a hand in front of my face, right? Or to tell me that there is a tree in front of me, and then I ought not to walk in front of uh, walk into it, because there's good fitness-based reasons why that capacity would evolve in that way. From an evolutionary perspective, if I apply try to apply that same idea to religious capacities, I can't come up with a compelling story for why. Religious capacities, whatever they might be, I'm not looking for a really specific explanation of the religious capacities, uh, or even a specific idea of what they are. I'm just thinking, whatever the religious capacities might be, I can't think of a compelling reason why evolution would ensure that the way that these evolved is to produce religious truths. Rather, I think the, the most likely explanation of whatever religious capacities are is that they came about for group selection benefits, for uh, agency detection, for whatever, there's, there's a million and one possible explanations. But all of those explanations are based on enhancing fitness. Ultimately, religious, our capacity to produce religious beliefs came about to enhance human fitness, not to produce religious beliefs or to justify religious beliefs. And, and that, I think, is where the problem in justifying religious beliefs comes from. Does that, make, does that help, Emily?
2: It does. So to put it in more simple terms, you don't think that evolution can prove religion false, but you think that religious beliefs can't be justified.
0: Yeah, definitely. And even can't is is maybe a little bit strong, but I think it, it is very dangerous to try and justify religious beliefs. And I think if you're going to try to do that, you want to have a really firm idea of what capacities you're using and why those capacities are reliable.
1: Well, so could, could I put it this way, that we use our brains to form conclusions about the nature of reality, but then if our brains evolved in, into working that particular way, then should we trust our brain's conclusions about reality? Is that that's sort of what you're saying?
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, there's there's all sorts of times where you shouldn't trust your brain's conclusions about reality. So uh, think of optical illusions, right? Our brains simply aren't wired to manage a lot of optical illusions. I mean, even simply a stick in water, right? The stick sort of looks crooked um, just because of the way refraction works.
1: Although we use our brains also to figure out that the stick is actually still straight, even though it looks crooked, right?
0: Yes, and, and and we can do that partly because we you can sort of empirically pull the stick out of the water and see that see that it isn't. Whereas if if I sort of just show you an image of a stick in some water, you don't you don't actually know whether that stick is crooked or it is in fact straight but has been made crooked because you probably can't work out the refractive index in your head quickly like that. Um, so, but but anyway, sorry. What, what was your what was your point, Banny? I,
1: I guess. Um... The way, if we expand this whole idea out to the fact that our brains evolved and our brains evolved to work a certain way, not purely in order to find the truth, then surely that way our brain works is also what we use to figure out that our brains evolved a certain way, right? We're using our brains all the time, either way. Yeah.
2: And also we can create, yeah. we have a proven ability to use our brains to overcome the limitations that evolution imposes upon them. And that's because in part, we aren't just individual brains existing uh, in isolation, interacting with the world. And when we die, everything that we ever learned is forgotten. We have culture and we have uh, great academic institutions like the one we're sitting in now. And so we are able to use uh, the collective power of human reason to uh, overcome some of these limitations, to build upon them, to test them, to investigate them. And that applies to theological and philosophical inquiry almost as much as it applies to scientific inquiry. You know, we've been talking about these sorts of beliefs, these sorts of truth claims for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And through the use of kind of collective human endeavor, we're able to overcome the belief that, sorry to keep returning to the hyperactive agency detection device, but we've overcome the, Idea that a rustling leaf might be some sort of kind of spirit living in the tree. We're able to use oral traditions, written traditions in Western, Eastern, Indigenous cultures to f- reformulate and uh, kind of sharpen these beliefs. And so maybe, maybe we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here if we say that evolution stops us from being able to justify religious beliefs of any kind.
0: So I think that first of all i would um sound a very skeptical note about the similarity between philosophy and theology and science <laughs> okay. uh, in in terms of the sort of oral tradition institutional um sort of history centuries and millennia of sort of building up knowledge because i think that actually uh, a lot of philosophy and theology i don't think it would be possible to say that there's a sort of advancement or increase in knowledge i don't think that that's that's entirely well i don't think that's what, what that's really for and and i don't think that there's there's really a parallel with the way that science is sort of building these building blocks
2: ah uh, but the science the idea of scientific progress has been shown to be a myth as well if you look at thomas kuhn for example which
0: i'm not saying i didn't i didn't use i did quite carefully not use the word progress okay I just I just try to try to stick to the idea that there's an increase in knowledge, um, and, and I don't think there's really been an increase in knowledge. I like I would say we are still, in many ways, discussing the same issues that Plato put to us two thousand years ago. Um, what I would say though is that that might be, as you proposed, Emily, that might be a compelling argument for why the practices that uh, and the capacities that one uses to generate those beliefs are indeed quite reliable and, and can be used for justification. And and maybe, maybe that's a that's a good story for and maybe it that that works and, and you can sort of put that alongside science or put that alongside mathematics or uh, another reliable practice and think, okay, great, well now we have, based on sort of an e ev- a fair a sort of evolutionary test, we have an idea for why I can use my evol- evolved capacities to justify religious beliefs and that might be enough because that is just a response but i i I just have a slight skepticism about the way you've the way you put the response
1: is it viable to question the mathematics on the basis that our capacity for mathematics evolved is that done
0: it is it is done to some extent and um I really am not a mathematician, and I and I will uh, try not to speak at all about this too much. But for example, there are imaginary numbers, right? Th- those numbers cannot exist as a sort of they don't exist as reality. You you can't have i number of things, right? Yeah. I mean, similarly, you can't even have minus three number of things. But at least the sort of concept of minus three exists in terms of taking three things away. What where you have i though? You have something that literally just cannot exist in the world. And I think something where mathematics becomes so incredibly conceptual and so incredibly divorced from the reality of things, I think it would be possible to run this same sort of evolutionary argument against those ideas. Um, And I know certain pure mathematician friends of mine will uh, absolutely hate that idea.
1: (laughs) We've talked a little bit about the idea of justification of religious belief but could we just yeah. unpack what you mean by a justification
0: yeah so so i think justification to me is anything that defends one's belief and allows one to feel comfortable that it is reasonable um, so it's not I the think, same
1: as proving it's just
0: it, i don't think so i think proving is is more about a sort of community and uh yeah and a public sort of being able to if other people doubt something, you can say no, and then you'll be able to convince them. Um, and so I think proving it is, is probably too strong. I think justification is more personal, um, and it's more a sort of a, d- a defence that allows one to feel that one's own beliefs have reasonable grounds.
1: Could I then maybe conclude by summarising what I see as the value of this evolutionary explanation of religion? As somebody who is religious myself, why I find this helpful is that it seems to me to serve a sort of purgative function. It purifies my understanding of my religious beliefs and maybe even helps me select between different religious beliefs on the basis of the likelihood that this particular belief is a result of evolution and that's a satisfying explanation for it. So it sort of helps to strip away bad reasons for believing. That's how I would put it
0: yes and 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 I think evolution is just a tool in that sense. Evolution is just a thing that issues a clarion call to perhaps look at the reasons why one believes things and the abilities and capacities one is using to do that, and the reliability of those abilities and capacities. and I think if if one is sort of provoked to think about those and to try and maybe throw some out and keep some others because of those ideas, then I think evolutionary explanations are definitely doing some useful work there.
2: Great. Well, this has been a really fascinating conversation, Chris. Thank you so much. I'm leaving with more questions than I have answers, but I think that's a good thing.
0: All right. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, That's always a good thing.
1: Thank you for listening to Faith at the Frontiers, a podcast produced in collaboration with The Tablet. If you liked this episode, then do subscribe to hear more like it in the future. For now, goodbye.